0: Hello, and welcome to Cruising Through History with Scott Cruz. My name is Xander Miller. Scott, what are we cruising through today?
1: Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, something that was called the Shakespeare Riots.
0: Okay, and did this have to do with Shakespeare?
1: It did, but tangentially. It, it wasn't about his works per se. It's officially called the Astor House Riots. Uh, this was something that occurred in 1849 in New York City. Uh, there was a At the time, there wasn't an established American theater tradition, and so you really sort of, you made your bones by playing Shakespeare, and at the time there was a lot of British actors and managers in the American theater scene that would put on productions of Shakespeare's plays. Well, the problem was, there was a growing resentment about this because there were there were, it was felt that there were American actors who could do Shakespeare better than the British actors. And what this really centered around was the theater in the 19th century when this happened was considered mass entertainment.
0: Oh, really? We don't
1: think of it that way today.
0: No, maybe Broadway, maybe.
1: Right, and so in fact, the (laughs) theater goers were not shy about expressing their displeasure with things going on on the stage. In fact, they would throw things at the stage. Vegetables, shoes, rotten eggs.
0: Is that where all the cartoons of people throwing stuff on stage you, that comes prob- from?
1: Probably, because they would even throw, throw, they would tear up the seats and throw them at the stage. Seriously? Yes, <laughs> yes. And okay. so uh, what you started to have happening in the 19th century was you started to have this sort of, uh, especially in New York City, which I know we've talked about in a couple of other, podcast, this sort of, with all the immigration that you had at that time, there was really not a lot of affinity for Britain in a lot of uh, areas of society.
0: I don't think Britain was a, no one in the world really
1: liked Britain at the time. (laughs) Right. And so uh, the upper class were more Anglophile than the working class were. And the Irish immigrants, of course, were not pro-British. Oh, no, of course not. And so it really centered around The dispute that happened centered around two actors. One was named uh, Edwin Forrest, who was an American, and uh, William Charles McCready, who was a British actor. Okay. And so these two sort of had a rivalry. Uh, They had both visited each other's countries at some one time. In fact, Forrest had gone over to England, and the second time he went, he wasn't as popular. So he blamed MacReady for this, for some reason. And of course it didn't help that Forrest was married to, his wife was English and the whole marriage fell apart. And so, uh, so all some this animosity. is kind of playing into some of this, this feeling. And uh, Forrest was interesting because he got his start in the theater called the Bowery Theater, which was on Broadway at the time. And the Bro- uh, Bowery Theater, it really catered to the working class, especially from Five Points. Now, if people have ever seen the movie Gangs of New York, which, of course, we've talked about before in these mm-hmm. podcasts as well, the Five Points was mostly immigrants and working class. And and so he had this huge following, and, and these actors would get these followings like this, sort of like it's no different than celebrities today.
0: Like people follow Lin-Manuel. Like they, they're yes. just going to gonna find whatever he's playing in.
1: Yes, and so... But the second, it was so funny because when Forrest was in England the second time, he would follow this MacReady around to, to MacReady's performances and hiss him and boo him. And then this led to some rivalry. And then it got so bad when MacReady came here, someone, the story goes, had thrown the half, a carcass of half a dead sheep onto the stage at him.
0: Okay, first of all, how do you throw a carcass <laughs> of a dead sheep? And second of all, how do you get a carcass of a dead sheep? Well, that's feeder? a good question. So
1: <laughs> so I don't know if the story is apocryphal because of everything else that was being thrown. I always said with all that vegetables being thrown, they should throw some lettuce up there. They could make a salad. but uh...
0: <laughs> Get some dressing in there. Yes,
1: exactly. And so, um, so this rivalry sort of went along, and the... The, the wealthier uh, patrons of the theater at that time, they built the Astor Opera House. Okay. And that's where this, the Astor House, and it was on Astor Place in uh, New York City, because they didn't really want to go to the theater anymore with the riffraff who were causing... Well, of course not. ...causing scenes. Now, when they built this, uh, they had a dress code of kid gloves and white vests and that kind of thing. And if you're a 19th century dress, you kind of can picture in your mind what this is. Well, building the building itself was actually a provocation for a lot of working class people who thought that the theater was a populist place. Everyone should go there. Mm-hmm. And and you kind of think about it, it kind of makes sense because there was no radio, no TV, no Internet. There was none of that. so. To me it makes sense that the theater was the sort of the place a gathering place for people
0: yeah because it's everyone has to be entertained some way and right. that's the place for it
1: right and so i think and so that is what was going on then and so it all sort of finally came to a head on may 7th 1849 macready was playing macbeth at the astor house and Edwin Forrest was playing Macbeth at the Bowery Theater on okay. the same night. Of the same night. The same night. How do they do that? So, a lot of Forrest supporters they bought what I guess you would call nosebleed seats mm-hmm. to the Astor Opera House because you could still get in. Yeah. And they totally disrupted the the McCready's performance. That's when a lot of stuff was thrown on stage at him. Not the not the sheep, but the vegetables and whatnot. <laughs> so
0: it's people's fault fo- uh, Macreedan uh, as a forest, right? Forest. Yes. Their followers would knew about the rivalry and kept up with the rivalry to know when the other was performing so yes. they could, <laughs> so they could go back. It's like, those are the, their, their fans are just. They're... And there's
1: so many other cultural things ingrained in this, you know, there's the whole issue of class mm-hmm. and, uh, other things that were going on. I mean, you gotta remember at this time James Polk was the president, and Polk had really ran on a lot of anti-British sentiment himself. The 5440 or fight, that was a dispute we had with the British over the Oregon boundary. And he insisted that it'd be 5440, which would run all the way up to what would be the border of what's Alaska now. Of course, we didn't get that. Yeah. So. And that's, a, so that's he, a
0: latitude line, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. So
1: so and, and Polk himself was a protege of Andrew Jackson, who, of course, hated the British. Yeah. So I think these currents had been going on. In fact, the funny thing is theater riots weren't even that uncommon in New York ever. I mean, during the Stamp Act crisis of 1765, there was a theater riot then. A a bunch of British actors were playing. They weren't doing Shakespeare. I don't know what they were doing. And the, and the people that were there tore the theater up. So occur, apparently this was a regular occurrence. Now, I'm just thinking, who invests in theaters at this point <laughs> yeah. in time? Yeah, you have to clean up every time. It's, it's fairly dicey. It's, uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, we had talked about the movie The Gangs of New York. Well, there's a, there's a scene in there where they're at the theater and they're all buying vegetables to throw at the stage. And one of the characters says to um, one of the other ones, why well, ain't you ever been to the theater before? You know, because he was, he didn't know that you did this. And it's just so funny. I, I think about that now and think, you know, we have, I was just reading a story about some athletes who don't like the fact that their home fans boo them. I said, <laughs> well, thank God they're not throwing dead sheep at you. I mean, that, <laughs> that's when this can really get out of hand. So. Yeah, that it's
0: like how, I'm, I'm thinking, to now where people's fans will go at you on social media. Yes. But they're
1: not going to go at you in like, they're not
0: going to actually throw a tomato at you.
1: Or physically assault you. I mean, it, it could get really ugly in a hurry. I mean, we've seen things where, where riots could get out of hand very quickly, and, mm-hmm. and this was no exception. And so, um, so McCready, after the whole performance went and what they would do, and I give I give a lot of credit to these actors. They wouldn't flee the stage; they'd stay on it. But if you couldn't, they couldn't be heard. But there's no amplification. They would pantomime the show, and wow. do what's called a silent. And I kind of got me thinking a little bit that these actors were probably, you know, probably the closest thing we can see to how they would perform would be like if we watch silent films, because mm-hmm. a lot of that's motion to to signify different things. I don't know. It's just something that got into my head.
0: And they can't script that out. They have to just do it.
1: They, yeah. Like there's no
0: way you plan for that, right?
1: Right, right. I mean? But McCready, he was so freaked out about this, he he had promised to be on the next boat back to England the next day. Wow. Okay, so this is May 7th. Now, unfortunately, uh, for subsequent events that happened after that, uh, a group of uh, about 47 New Yorkers had signed a petition and two of them were herman melville was one and washington irving both the
0: authors okay yeah
1: and of course it was mostly the upper crust new yorkers who signed this telling him to stay and said no we want you to perform again because you know we, we can't give in to the mob and and so um i don't think they expected the reaction that they would get so then we fast forward three days and then it's may 10th and this is when things happen and okay. so the, the mayor, you also have this little thing going on. The mayor of New York at the time, Caleb Woodhall, is a Whig. Now Tammany Hall, which runs most of New York, they're Democrats. So you already have this clashing at the governmental level that municipal governments are different. You know, So Tammany Hall, so they go to these great lengths to try to embarrass this Whig. In fact, they were behind some of the stuff that happened on May 7th. Like they had handed out tickets to people to go to the show. They bought the tickets and to because they were Forest fans, of course.
0: Yeah, and they had to buy have bought the tickets because they're, they're. I'm guessing they're more expensive for for the yeah. Well, the Creedy they show. had
1: the those nosebleeds. I guess that's what you'd call it, but I, I don't know what the Astor House really looked
0: like. But still, see, they had to they had to they had to go dress. To <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Someone had to pay the bill.
1: Right. Exactly. And so uh, Woodhall knew that the police superintendent at the time told him, we don't have enough people to handle this. So why don't you call out the militia? Now you can see where this is heading. Oh, and so, no. um, and then Tammany, they are like they prepared too. So, so you, you're gonna have this running battle going on, on this, I think it was bigger things, and we always talk about this too, but this was just a surrogate for these, all these simmering things that were going on. I mean, you had, and, th- and there had been riots, and we had talked about it. So there were riots in New York before. Of yeah. course, we always think of 1863, the draft riots, mm-hmm. which were horrendous, you know, for the killing that went on there. And there had been one in 1834, I think, between nativists and immigrants. And that's usually what it was. Uh, there, was there was some anti-abolitionist riots, um, earlier than that, but this one seemed to really spark off something <laughs> in people. So the show, they were like, okay, well, we're going to perform and the show went on, as they say. Mm-hmm. But by the time the show was ready to go, there were like 10,000 people standing around the... 10,000? Well, that's the number I was. I, I, I saw and I've seen it in two different places, wow. so I'm not sure if they counted heads or... <laughs> I'm sure it's a, a approximate number. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's... Um, so we get to this night, and so Caleb Woodhall knows there's no way we're going to control this. So they call out the troops, and, and there's uh, some of the, they actually were screening people at the door of the Astor House. So some people didn't get in because they knew who they were. They weren't, they were there just to make trouble. Some did. Some tried to set the theater on fire. Wow. And you can imagine trying to do a performance, and it, it was total chaos. Yeah. I don't know if the performance went off or not so
0: i'm just imagining that meme of the dog that's you know saying this is everything's okay as (laughs) the people performing as the entire theater is just going it's like raining
1: stuff on the stage and they just stand there doing it you know and so so the battle happens well later in the night um the, the some of the soldiers were injured this is what kind of triggered the whole the whole thing
0: yeah what could let's talk about like what how, how did things happen in the theater? How did it we, we talked about the buildup, but it's getting the theater for the the riot itself. How did the soldiers there? How did people get injured? What did they do?
1: Right. So what happened was the soldiers um, people started throwing stuff at them. There was a lot of jostling, you know, as you do in big crowds. yeah. And uh, yes, I was making hand gestures again that people can't see. Just imagine a metal concert or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're in some kind of mosh pit. Everyone's getting jostled in. And so um, the soldiers have had enough, right? Right. Sorry, I'm just thinking of a mosh
0: pit for a Shakespeare
1: <laughs> Everyone's wearing it. those, like, fluffy collars and, yeah, yeah. and whatnot, you know, they their tights. Oh, my God, yes. Okay,
0: continue, <laughs> you know, man. I just had a, I just, that image course, my head. But, of course, you know,
1: I, I thought of this because we were talking about Shakespeare. You know, it happened at the Globe Theater when when Shakespeare, people would throw stuff. I mean, yeah. you always sort of had this, again, mass entertainment element to it. And so, as the soldiers were injured, and so... Of course, one of them fired into the air and they did threaten to start firing into the crowd and it was unheard and of course no one knows who fired the first shot and you know it's always that kind of thing. And so the soldiers fired at the crowd point blank. Now I think uh, so between 22 and 31 rioters were killed.
0: Wow by soldiers
1: yes more than 120 were injured most of them were working class and some of them were irish immigrants that oh my killed. gosh yes and so
0: <laughs> i thought when you're talking about like you said riots i'm like oh they were just really rowdy no people were being shot at by soldiers. yeah this
1: was fairly deadly and i think it's why people still remember it mm-hmm. uh and so that happened so there were that many deaths. I don't think they ever got a full number. That's why they say between 22 and 31. And then the next night there was a, a, a mass meeting at one of the parks protesting the <laughs> response to the riot. And even in that there was some kind of melee. A young boy was killed. And so the crowd started to head for the aster again. I mean, I'm not, I don't even know how the building's still standing at this point. <laughs> but the soldiers are ready for them. So they had like this running battle all the way up the street. And um, it was pretty wild.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is just sounds like a, like I'm imagining, you know, we, we have a, I, I'm, I went to UW-Madison, I'm just like, wow, what happened? Like this is another, like a type of Mifflin, like what is this, what is this whole thing? It's like right. people were just on the street, angry going yes. towards this place and then soldiers were like uh right the but deal? then
1: but no one was killed except for that young boy and i'm not quite sure how it just says he was i don't know if there was a melee of some kind between probably both groups of course
0: the young boy gets hit
1: yeah not, well not an adult. and in fact most of the people that were killed were innocent bystanders because wow. they weren't really involved they were they were just milling around on the street which you know they weren't going to be inside watching tv or something so mm-hmm or streaming whatever, <laughs> you know. So, But it is funny because um, uh, there was a man named Ned Buttline who was, in, he was like a dime novelist and he was in league with uh, Tammany Hall but he, he was sort of blamed for instigating a lot of this stuff because he handed out this, he printed up these handbills and he handed them out and it kind of gives you the tenor of what was going on here. And so it says working men shall Americans or English rule in this city?
0: Wow, from two performers, they're like,
1: who's going to rule this right. world? You know, the crew of the British steamer have, and it doesn't say what steamer, but have threatened all Americans who shall dare to express their opinions this night at the English Aristocratic Opera House. Now, that's, that's a giveaway right there. We advocate no violence, but a free expression of opinion to all public men. Working men, free men, stand by your lawful rights. And it was signed, American Committee. And they knew that he was the one who printed all these up <laughs> and handed them out and kind of got everyone inflamed.
0: This is like the precursor to Twitter Wars. <laughs> like yeah. that's all I'm, I'm just thinking, it's like, wow. People are saying, we're social media, people will get upset and angry and it's all inflammatory. But it, it's really interesting this. how it was
1: such a one way street, though, because the same night that McCready had all that stuff thrown at him down the street, uh, Forrest's performance was going off without a hitch. In fact, he says this line from Macbeth that got this big. It kind of, I kind of wrote this down. And uh, when, he, when he made we spoke these lines from Macbeth, what rhubarb, senna, or what purgative drug will scour these English hens?" It got the biggest applause of the night.
0: <laughs> oh, of course. So
1: people were already fired up. And, and that was, of course, before, that was on the May 7th when they were both performing.
0: So this whole time, it's just imagining Forrest with a giant smirk on his face. <laughs>
1: right, but in fact, but his, his, his reputation never recovered from the riot because even though he didn't really go out there and say let's do this he he had all these ties in the in the community especially with gangs he had ties to them too which sort of goes back to what are we talking about with lincoln at this time so when we were talking about lincoln and and some of his connections to gangs in illinois this is about the same time this is the 1840s
0: so there might be i mean As far as we're we're, aware, I mean, there could be a legitimate connection between, like, Forrest and Lincoln at some
1: point. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, one thing we forget, and when we talk about uh, Shakespeare's mass entertainment, and that so many people knew Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. Lincoln's a great example of that. I mean, he never went to school. He was self-educated, and his whole life he loved Shakespeare, and he always quoted Shakespeare all the time.
0: Well, now we think about Shakespeare, we think academics and all that. That's right. And entertainment. that's right,
1: we do. And so, and it's also ironic that at the time, John Wilkes Booth was considered one of the finest Shakespearean actors in the country. His, his father was too, Junius Booth. His, yeah, his father they, was yeah. British, which is kind of ironic. His father was British, John Wilkes Booth. I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole here, but it is funny how there's this, that recurring theme.
0: Well, yeah, there's because wasn't a Booth. Booth had a brother, right? That was also an actor. Or Edwin, performers? yeah, I believe. Yeah, so. there's a shout out to another program, Old Wiener America, that was talking about the Booths as brothers and performers in that right. family. So and
1: Junius Brutus. I mean, his name was Brutus. I mean, so, <laughs> so I mean, yeah. It. Uh, so I always find that that's sort of part of it ironic, you know. It was ironic too that you had t- people fighting over an English playwright, even though it was like we're Americans and we were going to play Shakespeare because he, and some people thought if Shakespeare was still alive in his heart he'd be an American. So that kind of came up too. But they were both fighting over an English playwright. It it wasn't like we want our own tradition. That came later. Mm -hmm. But it's who, this gold standard was who can play Shakespeare the best. And so now who, we didn't know it would end in, you know, 21, 22 to 31 deaths because a riot had broken out. But I really think it was a surrogate for other simmering things. New York was um, most populous city. I mean, it was the first city with a million people. And, and like I said, with all the influx of immigrants, there was no, no more ties to England. Most of the upper class were, had those ties, but people below that didn't. And so there's a great book on this, actually. And I usually mention books at the beginning, but I haven't. So it is called The Shakespeare Riots by Nigel Cliff. And he made a good point. You, you made a good point. You said, nowadays we think of Shakespeare as academic, mm-hmm. you know, more of highbrow. He argues that that came out of this.
0: Wow, really?
1: That because some, one of the consequences was that this, he thinks this riot and these things that, hand, that happened, that they sort of furthered class alienation in, the Uni- in New York City and the rest of America. And, and uh, so what you saw was you started seeing the, the wealthy build theaters. Now they did, they did build their own theater. Ironically the Astor Opera House became a library. <laughs> <laughs> so the building withstood all this and became the Mercantile Library in New York City. Okay. And then meanwhile they built one farther up now one lesson i think they they did learn was the rules that they had for the new theater weren't as strict so if you were working class you could go there Mm -hmm. so i think they were willing to meet them halfway after everything that happened and so but but nigel cliff argues that as these entertainments branched off into and i'm using air quotes so you won't be able to see it respectable Or working-class orbits there were these different things and and more professional actors gravitated toward the respectable roles if you will
0: well they'd get paid more i'd assume right right
1: what happened was that gradually removed shakespeare from mass entertainment to more upper crust higher brow entertainment and it's a shame because i mean i think i i I love reading shakespeare and uh, and uh, people still use him for lessons for today. You know, you always see that. And and I think, and funny, I didn't know a lot about, I, I always knew about Shakespeare, but I read a lot about Lincoln and how much Shakespeare meant to him. He always quote Shakespeare, especially his tragedies. And, and so it's just kind of ironic all that kind of plays together. But Nigel Cliff argues that that's what, that's what started this process. So whereas you get like vaudeville and burlesques and minstrel shows that, Appeal to lower Working class I don't want to say lower classes But would appeal to the working class Because they couldn't afford to go to What you would call a respectable theater anyway mm-hmm. So so he thinks And actually it is funny because Comedians in these burlesque shows Would start calling them the massacre Opera house At disaster place of course you know It sort of lends itself to that, whole, fitting. <laughs> to that whole thing. So I mean the elites weren't Totally um, they weren't. Uh, they didn't come out of this unscathed either. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when they opened their new theater, they were a little more. They bended a little more yeah. to that. But now, yeah, we do think of Shakespeare now as, as sort of highbrow entertainment. and, well,
0: and a that. lot of theater plays are just seem highbrow because tickets are expensive. Yeah. Like have you, I don't. I don't know how long it's been since you've been to a performance, but tickets it's been are a long time. Expensive.
1: I think the last play I went to was my niece's play, so I, I think that was free. But <laughs> well, I mean. that was your, But I know what you're talking, about. Yeah. and you're right. But it was. I, I think when you see people like Lynn Lynn Manuel, and uh, for some reason I'm missing his other name.
0: Another Hamilton actor, or no? His
1: isn't it Lin Manuel oh, Miranda? Something? Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I was about to say. I was like, sorry, <laughs> sorry, listeners, I got this. <laughs> but when you see when, when he had a, a musical like Hamilton, how he popularized it, I think that's because I, I was everywhere I go. People say, have you seen Hamilton? Mm-hmm. And so, it can still appeal to people. I think it doesn't have to be.
0: Well, that was that was the point, right? Because it feels like uh, theaters. I mean, oh, I may be falling into the trap here. It feels like theater is such an, a great American expression, um, but right. it's not really origin-wise an American thing. Um, and
1: and you, and if you put it this whole thing into the context of the 19th century, it was um, the whole Jacksonian period was kind of like this. I mean, Jackson's inaugural was. I know this was a little this was a little after, but you still had this. You know, this is a democratic nation, We, you know, we're so people would just do things. I mean, people, I think about that now. I mean, you wouldn't go to a movie and start whipping stuff at the screen if you didn't like it. Well, um, you'd be thrown Well, there,
0: there's one show where you can do that. You uh, can throw spoons at, but we can get into another.
1: Well, I was at, I was at a performance of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> yeah. fact, and someone threw toast at me. So, you know. Sounds it, about right. <laughs> so we got that going on.
0: So So, Scott. We're, we talked about, a, that's going to be hard to beat a riot. Um, so what, what what are we going to find next time? What are, what are we going to actually look through?
1: Well, next time I'm going to talk about the assassination of James Garfield. Okay. And the question that always surrounds that was, was it his doctors that killed him instead of the assassin? And I don't think most people don't even know that Garfield was even assassinated. We always think of Kennedy and Lincoln, mm-hmm. but we don't think of, like, McKinley and... McKinley was assassinated too, but that's James Garfield's a very different, a very interesting person. But I think because it happened during what you'd call the Gilded Age, and I, want to, I want to say right now to our listeners, I'm sorry, this will probably be the last one I do on the 19th century. I know <laughs> it's kind of my favorite, my favorite time. So, but I'll, I'll think of some other topics. And also, the Golden Spike was driven in 1869 for the transcontinental railroad. Okay. I, I got that wrong, so I wanted to make sure. In the last one about Nellie Bly, which we talked about in New York as well. Mm-hmm. So being the journalist. Yeah, we're going to have to
0: change the century and change the <laughs> location at some point. Yeah, I know. I know.
1: <laughs> so but uh, but so so I'll be talking about that. And then in the future, uh, I've got some other ideas, but I'm, right now I'm just working them out. So. Well,
0: we'll be looking forward to that in the near future.
1: Thanks, Scott. Right. Thank you.